realize um, your strengths and weaknesses, um, and then definitely understand that the people around you really do have superhuman abilities compared to what you may have. And so um, you need you need other people. You need to identify where people are strong, um, and so that so you can synergize and and make something bigger than than what you are on your own together. That's that's a real thing. Um, you, you can't do it all alone. So you have you need to find the right people um, to help um, help create something amazing. Hey everyone, this is Devin Miller here with another episode of The Inventive Journey. I'm your host, Devin Miller, the serial entrepreneur that's grown several startups into seven and eight figure businesses, as well as a CEO and founder of Miller IP Law, where he helps startups and small businesses with their patents, trademarks, and everything else related to their business. And if you ever need help with your business, um, feel free to go to strategymeeting.com and uh, grab some time with us to chat. Now, today we have another great guest on the podcast, Brian Adams, and give you a quick intro on Brian. So Brian, uh, back all the way in high school, was a, a bit more sports-focused, um, did wrestling, went to state twice. After uh, after high school, went to Utah State um, here in Utah, and uh, I think got, uh, went and pursued aerospace degree for a period of time, um, was looking at how to kind of pay for college, went and did the military um, as, a, as a, a means uh, to do that, and then op- had an opportunity to, to go out and actually fly and so um with that opportunity didn't finish up the college degree went and was an officer flew helicopters which just sounds really fun and cool um for a while uh, did that in afghanistan and then uh, after got after out of uh, out of the military i um, always wish he'd finished the degree so i think he went to europe and greece and germany and other places kind of finished the degree graduated right as the recession was coming on in 2009 so spent i think i think over a year sending out over a thousand resumes and uh, still gives him chills a little bit or makes him sick to fill out a resume or to send out a resume, um, but then uh, was a big driving force in starting a company. So um, that will play on a little bit later on. Finally did get a, I think, a job at, uh, is it Vetus or Vestus? Vetus? Um, Vestus. All right. And uh, was uh, for wind turbines and went and helped uh, build those all over or sites all over the country and the world. And uh, but it had to move every two months. And so that was kind of had a wife and was uh, uprooting and moving all around. Could only stand that for about four years and then decided, hey, we want to settle back down, not have to move all over the country and the world. So then came back and decided to do uh, Rocky Mountain Renewable Energies. Um, started that kind of uh, expecting to fail and then uh, turn it into a success or at least to where it's at today. So. With that much as a quick run through and introduction, welcome on the podcast, Brian. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Absolutely. So, uh, so I gave kind of the one minute rundown of your a bit of your journey, but uh, now taking us back in time a little bit to high school and then the college, tell us a little bit about how your journey got started and let's have a good conversation. Yeah. You want me to start back in high school? Huh? Uh, Why not? Yeah. That's always a good place to start. <laughs> Yeah, right. Um, so, so yeah, I, I definitely, uh, definitely enjoyed my time. I went to uh, uh, Brighton High School um, and it, it was actually fun. We actually just had had a 50 year uh, reunion for for the wrestling program down there. And uh, it was nice to be, be recognized as one of the one of the top, uh, you know, 18 wrestlers through, through the history of the school, which is pretty cool. Uh, very honored to, to have that. That uh, honor. 
to to be there for that so that was cool so yeah um, so then so then then you went to high school loved wrestling and then you started out going to college kind of after uh, graduating from high school and uh, you know and then that's how you got uh, started in aerospace but then also got uh, started in the military is that right yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, I, I yeah went to Utah State University for a bachelor's, and uh, yeah went went into uh, aerospace, and uh, yeah, I loved that. That was really fun. And, and then uh, to pay pay for that, yeah, just join uh, the join the military. Uh, went into the army and got accepted into the uh, warrant officer program, which is definitely the best way to go if you're looking at that versus the mm. commission route. But that's a topic for another discussion, I guess. Mm-hmm. um but uh yeah that was that was fun but when they give you a slot to, to go fly they they basically say you're gonna go at this date time and drop everything to, to do it so um so yeah i went over there to uh to finish out the uh advanced training for for the helicopters and uh flew mm-hmm. the th-67 um which is kind of like a news helicopter if you envision that mm-hmm. and then uh and then we flew flew the apache as well so and then you know, uh, the Apache just sounds kind of cool to fly. Was it is it as exciting as it sounds? And was it fun to fly? And was it you know, or was it uh, after you've done so many flights, it loses a little bit of its excitement? Uh, no, it never loses its excitement. Um, I it was um, always always fun, um, always intense. Um, I mean, even on the times where it wasn't intense, uh, you know, you'd always have a you know a partner that was. Um, you know, really, really always dedicated to, to training. Mm. So, so even, even on flights where it should be boring, I, I, these guys are amazing at just um, creating scenarios uh, at mid flight saying, Oh yeah, you know, you're just flying along fat, dumb and happy. And then this happens and then, you know, <laughs> they'll take off an engine and then, and then you have to auto rotate, you know, in a split second. So that those guys are really good at always keeping you on their toes um, mm. and, you know, coming up with, you know, ingenious mind games to, to help, uh, train you so it's it's awesome yeah great experience so and you did that i think it was for four years is that right or how many years did you were you in the military in afghanistan yeah. and, and serving so i i uh, i was in the army for eight years okay um, and and did, did that i was in afghanistan for a short time uh mm-hmm. was only there for about uh i'd actually been six months in afghanistan so pretty pretty short before i caught the tail end of the deployment right after i finished uh, flight school so flight school straight into Afghanistan, <laughs> you know? So, hmm. yeah. So, so now you you did that now for eight years, which is a good amount of time. And then you finally were coming out of the military. And what made you decide to transition out of the military? Was it, you know, Afghanistan is winding down or you'd reached the end of your service or, you you know, you're wanting to do something else or kind of what made you transition from being in the military to going uh, back into private life? Oh, you know, I, I think, I think, uh, it, it came down to that, um, that traveling factor again, uh, just mm. lots, lots of traveling, um, multiple deployments uh, away from uh, family and friends, those types of things. Um, so yeah, that can, that can definitely take a toll, um, mm. you know, a while too. So um, yeah. And then, and then just, and just the excitement of wanting to, to get in the engineering side um, and, mm. and to, um yeah, just to fill that dream, I guess. Um, there, there. You know, I guess for an entrepreneur, that's that's almost kind of our problem is is we we always want to create and do more things and and do mm-hmm. things that challenge us. I guess. Um, I don't know if you find that with yourself or not too, but I, I definitely have that problem where I'm always wanting to 
do more, I guess. Mm. So. No, I, I definitely think that makes sense and uh, certainly get where you're coming from. So, so now you come into the private life and first of all, I think you went back, did you go back and study and you went around with, to Europe and Greece and Germany and other places studying to, to finish up your degree? Is that, is that what I remember from talking with you? So, yeah, no, I finished my bachelor's degree, um, okay. and but it wasn't in engineering, right? Because it's a combination of aerospace engineering and, and aviation. So mm-hmm. I combined that to make a bachelor's degree. And then for the, for the master's degree, that's when I focused on my engineering portion to finish that out. So, okay. So I now you, the, and so you finish it up, at the, you finish up your degree at the perfect time of 2009 when the right. world's falling apart and everything's yeah. crashing. So right. now as you're coming out and you're, you know, you, you finally finished it all up, you know, and you talked a little bit about sending out a thousand plus resumes and doing that for over a year, kind of, how did you buoy up your spirits? How did you do it? Cause I mean, there is a bit of parallels between 2009 and people in unemployment today and finding jobs and having to navigate that and adjust to it. So how did you eventually find your, you know, find where you were going to land and how did that, how did that period of your life go? Yeah. So, um, yeah, I love your parallels between right now and and the Great Recession. Um, I, I think I think there are a lot of similarities, especially um, the need to be able to create and and to invent and and to start your own business has probably never been more important than mm. than right now and and during that Great Recession period. And I I I'm not sure that I see see an end to that i, I kind of see this um you know if you want to call it council council culture or whatever you want to want to say about it um i think i think that could be a dangerous road for uh for a lot of people for years to come um mm. potentially so um i think the ability to to have kind of a plan b um business set up for for any individual is, is probably pretty important at, at this point in time. So I, yeah, I appreciate your parallels there, but, um, but yeah, that during that time is, is pretty horrible. It's pretty, pretty frustrating. Um, trying to get a job when companies not only are not hiring, but they're actually laying people off saying, we've got too many people. We got to get rid of these people. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, nearly impossible to find, find something at that point, especially, um, you know, someone with a master's degree, um, at that time where, where people were really hurting, they're losing their stock market investments, 401ks, all those things, you know? So yeah, it's, um, definitely challenging, frustrating. Um, and, um, yeah, it was kind of made out of necessity, Mm. um, a a little bit to start creating the business, um, and, and pay off, you know, my student loans, um, and, and get all that going and figure out how to make a better way forward. So now, how did you, so going through that, how did you get into Vestas or how did you find that? Or finally, after enough searching, how did you get hired on there? Yeah. So just after another searching. So, um, so Vestas with the, I got hired on as a resource project technician Mm. and, and that's, uh, to give you an idea of what that job entails, it's, it's basically climbing up 300 feet up to the top of these really high wind turbines, um, in, you know, sometimes crazy weather. I, I worked up in Canada and in, in Alberta in negative 40 degree weather. Um, and, and so they have a really high turnaround rate there. So the average person that stays there, um, you know, project technician stays there for about two years is, mm-hmm. you know, the normal length of time before they, they stay on just because of um, the stress. It's, you know, it's, it's fairly, um, 
you know, there's some risk involved to that job as well. Um, there's a lot of um, things that can that can harm you. You've got rotating parts, you know, high high current electricity, um, high voltage. Um, you've got pneumatics, um, hydraulics, uh, all kinds of things that that can be potentially dangerous as well. So, um, uh, you know, talking about keeping your on your toes again, um, I gotta gotta watch out for all that stuff. So. So yeah, that's that's about the normal time where, where people, you know, have mm. have um, had enough about two years. So I, I was there for four. And mm. uh, after that, then, then yeah, we were definitely ready to move on. So so you get, you know, you kind of you you do that and a bit out of necessity and a bit out of opportunity saying, okay, we uh, you know, one I, I need employment, two, you know, it's it's something to kind of get back into the state or at least, you know, kind of get back on your feet after graduate school. So you do that. And then four years sounds like a grueling job, certainly enough that you've, you know, you've had had your fill of a bit and want to settle down and not have to move around so much, which is completely understandable. So as you're now looking, saying, okay, I've got, you know, I've done the Vestas, I've got the experience with the military, got the experience with your, your degrees and whatnot. And you're saying, okay, had enough of moving around and having that, you know, kind of high stress job. How did you then transition away from that to doing your own thing uh at that point I, I felt i was definitely ready to take on anything that was thrown at me between uh you know the military train uh you know and my career there and and the career with vestas was was really intense as well and just constantly getting all these problems thrown at you and having to figure out how how to do that um mm. it was one of those points where um where you know we were talking about salaries and those things and, and trying to get uh, you know a salary bigger and and, uh, and it was one of those points where where I gave my my uh, my supervisor an idea about you know how how he could pay for my whole salary for a year's period of time if he just made a certain switch with mm. um, you know by by directing um, uh, by wiring something different um, and routing the the wires to a different spot. Um, he could sell the electricity for a higher rate for energy mm -hmm. they're already producing. And, mm -hmm. and, uh, and that would have paid for my entire salary. And, and so I told him about it and he's, he's like, yeah, I'm not sure that we want to do it. And I was like, wow, that's crazy. Hmm. You know, and, and at that point I was like, wow, my ideas are actually like that good where I, where I can pay for my salary for an entire year just by doing simple things like that. And it just, um, that was definitely a motivating factor where I'm like, yeah, I'm definitely ready, you know, to, mm -hmm. to come to the point where, um, you know, I, I have the confidence to go off on my own, but, but yeah, you're right. I, I mean, I'd never, I never set up a business and even just starting up the business and you're like, mm -hmm. wow, do I want to do sole proprietorship or LLC or C Corp? And it's just like, oh, I have no idea about this stuff, you know, and it's, it's frustrating um, just uh, starting the business and, and all the things that you don't know and, and all the things that you're, you know, you know, you're short on. Um, but uh, if I, if I have any, advice to people is definitely be to not let that get in the way you need to find ways to um to get through that and overcome those obstacles where wherever your weakness come or find the people that can help you overcome so now, those so no kind of one follow-up question to that so you said okay you know started to see hey you know 
have these great ideas. I think you can save money. Boss isn't necessarily going to implement them or, or go for them. So, you know, I can do kind of, you know, I think that there's a lot of entrepreneurs that you always think you can do something better, whether it's you think you can do it better than your boss, you know better, you're more efficient, you can do it. Because if you never thought you could do it better, you would never actually try. You're saying, oh, somebody else is already doing it better than I, you would never think to go out on your own. So you kind of figure out, hey, I think I, I want to try this. I think I can do some things different and some things improved. And so how did you... Did you just uh, jump right in and start, you know, your own business? You one day you walked in, you quit, and you said, "I'm gonna, I've had it, and I'm gonna go do my own thing." Did you transition? Did it start out as a side hustle, or kind of how did you get your own thing up and going as you at once you made that decision? So I I had built uh, a lot of the design concepts, spent a lot of time kind of daydreaming about it, uh, hmm. building my own business uh, during the Great Recession um, when I was out of work and. Um, but yeah, I, I just didn't, during the Great Recession, I just didn't feel like I had um, all the tools that I needed at that time. So I, I was just, you know, but I, I dove into it. Um, and, and so what's interesting is I, I actually started up, my first job was in 2010, um, right after I, I graduated. And it was for a wind turbine company, um, well, an investor for a wind turbine farm. And this wind turbine farm, um, guy said, "Hey, I want you to do uh, analysis and tell me what the rate of return would be on this wind farm." And so I, I did this wind farm for him, and it went really well. I had my first customer. I was so excited. But uh, when I got done with the um, with the analysis, I had to go to him and I said, "I had to say, you know, my analysis is that you shouldn't be the wind farm." Um, hmm. it's, and I talked myself out of out of the job. Well, talked him out of the job because it wasn't uh, economical. Uh, the wind, the wind resource just wasn't good enough in that area, um, as as he had thought. So, um, so after that, you know, things kind of tapered down a little bit, and that's when I got got the job actually, um, you know, with Vestas. Okay. Which which did which actually did pay off all my debt and uh, paid off all my student loans, which is awesome. So they were great to work for. So, and no, I think that that's definitely a benefit and it's certainly nice to be able to walk away and not have the student loans and other things as you're trying to start your own business. So now that you decided to do Rocky Mountain Renewable Energy, how did you transition from Vestas over to Rocky Mountain Renewable Energy or kind of doing that, doing your own thing, getting that up and going and uh, making that transition? So at, at that time, um, I, I was really focused on wind uh, when I first tried to start out Rocky Mountain Renewable Energy and, mm -hmm. and I... I had learned that the wind resource here in Utah is just, generally speaking, it's not where it needs to be as, as a general statement. Mm. Uh, there are some exceptions and things like that where, where it could be better, but, um, but we have not as good as a wind resource. And, and really, um, you know, in, in 2000, um, 2015, 2014 area, that, that's when I started looking more into solar. And I started looking at the numbers and I'm like, wow, solar really does make sense. And so I transitioned away from wind um, after doing that analysis. And, mm -hmm. and, and, I, and I really just locked myself into a room for about three days um, and, and really intensely focused on, on how, how to actually put this together, how to make the numbers work for solar. And very impressed that it was, the numbers did pan out. Um, it, it looked great. Um, on, on paper, and, and I built out the presentations, all the Excel sheets, everything that I needed to actually um, make the ideas a working model, and and then I just went out door knocking, um, and I, I just wanted to test out uh, my ideas on someone 
that I've never met before and just wanted just straightforward feedback uh, from people that probably didn't even want to hear it. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, I, I knocked on a couple doors and, um, and I, I knocked on, I think four doors. And then I ran into, uh, to a guy that says, and this is really important to you when you're starting a business. Mm-hmm. Um, he said, I want your 60 second pitch. Um, you know, and, and he's like, if I like it, then you can come in. If, if I don't, I'm asking to leave. So, and he said, go. <laughs> and so, uh, if you're starting up in business, that's the first thing, you know, one of the first things that you need is, is you need that 60 second pitch where you don't want to tie people uh, up with their time too much, but enough to intrigue people if they want to hear more. Hmm. Um, so I gave him that pitch and he's like, that, well, he's like, that was pretty good. Yeah. Come on in. And, um, and I think that experience, um, and that, that gentleman, his, his name is Royce Kruger. Hmm. Um, that let me in and he just happened to be the one of the uh, co-founders of seven habits of highly effective people and he was incredible uh incredible mentor to me um through that experience of just knocking on random doors mm. which is amazing so call it fate or whatever you will but that, that definitely that day changed my life so. so now so you make the pitch and you and you, you know he he sits you in he becomes or brings you in becomes a bit of a mentor and starts to kind of go down that route and so as you now you said okay we've made the we've made we've, we've got the pitch in hand we've got some you know positive feedback we've got some ideas of where the business is going now how did you go about kind of actually building the business or getting customers or getting sales or actually getting income and how did that go was it from day one, just tons of sales and massive, you know, spike to the top. Was it ups and downs? Is it still ups and downs or kind of how has that been going? As you said, okay, one, I made the commitment Two, I've done my homework three. I know where I'm headed, but now you actually have to build a business route. All right. So how's that gone for you? Oh, so yeah. Sales has always been uh, my most difficult part. I'm definitely not a salesman. And, and I think, I think it's, it's pretty important to, to be a salesman. Um, and when you have a business, you definitely have to sell yourself, sell your abilities, all those things. But that was definitely my weakness for sure. was on the sell side. Um, technically, um, you know, on the technical side, I had everything down that I needed to have down. Um, and so I, yeah, I worked on design or we, we worked on design and engineering, building out the CAD for that. So we have like all the CAD files made so we can do all the engineering and submit those permits to the cities. Um, so, uh, you know, the installation and the engineering and all those things came first. So we are by heart an installation company rather than a sales company. Sales were very slow to start out. Um, that was pulling teeth. But once we got, you know, a sell here and a sell there, we just did all of the groundwork to make that happen. So we're definitely weak on the on the sell side and strong on the actual installation and, and service side of things. So now, so now acknowledging that, you know, the installation, the actual product side and, and, you know, going out and doing the installs is, is your strong side, you know, either what is, what's the current plan or kind of what's the plan in the future? How do you go about, cause you know, part of the, part of the difficulty is acknowledging where you're weak, but then once you acknowledge where you're weak or where you need to have additional skill sets, it's now filling that place and filling that skill set. So kind of how do you envision kind of going forward or, or if you already have, kind of filling that that need of the company so that you have it kind of strong on all fronts. Yeah, so Royce is really the one uh, that that helped build up the sell side because he really understood sales so well. Um, he, he just understands, understands the human nature so well. Um, 
and all, all the little tips and, and, and the way that he develops people, uh, you naturally gravitate to, to him because uh, he, he just really uh, sincerely cares about people mm. um, and wants to help and better them. And, and he sees opportunity uh, for himself in helping others succeed as well, which is really cool too. It's, it's that seven habits of win-win, you know, if, if you can help someone else win, then I can win at the same time. And that's, that's one of the principles and he was amazing at it. So um, he, he helped, helped us build up the sell side. So that, so yeah, we became a full service EPC company. Um, and, and we've, we've definitely picked up our sell side quite a bit. Um, but we, we haven't really advertised at all. Um, haven't done much of, or don't really door knock. Uh, really all of our uh, work comes in from repu- re- referrals and reputation based, which mm. is really great place to be. So, so now that kind of almost brings us up to, to where you're at today. So now if you're to look kind of into the future, the next six to 12 months, where do you see things heading? What's the plan and, and where, and how are things going to play out? So um, before this last, you know, five, six years, the solar industry has just been about, you know, putting solar panels up on the roof and, and having a grid tied system. And mm-hmm. what's, what's interesting is in the last, um, in the last month, things have changed. And, and so how they've changed is, is right now there's, you know, the Biden administration is really heavily focused on renewable energy um, and, and all its fronts, energy efficiency. Um, it's one of their main platforms of, of their administration which mm. is great. Um, but uh, w- with that, the utility company has also come in and said, you know what, we're actually going to give a, a, a rebate for um, batteries. And, um, and that's, that's a game changer as well. So, so there's going to be a lot of um, batteries, uh, lots of EV cars coming out. Mm. Um, you know, all those things are, are going to be coming on, you know, pretty hot and heavy here soon. And so that's, that's the way the market's going to change. Um, a lot of battery integration, off-grid, smart smart battery systems that can communicate um, by not only providing backup power uh, if the grid goes down, but also um, Rocky Mountain Power just changed their rates, for example, so that um, if you consume power between one and eight o'clock, you're going to get charged more than uh, if you use power after that in the nighttime, for example. So you can use that battery to um, to absorb power from the grid at night and then sell it back or not sell it back, but, but use it for your own house instead of paying for more expensive power from recommend power during that time. So you can kind of play the daily stock market of energy now at, at home level, mm. which is a game changer for the next few years. So batteries just became really important. Mm. No, I, and it seems like batteries are always, you know, as you're looking at whether it's electric cars, you're looking at solar or any really source of energy that definitely always t- tends to play a, a major role in that because once you collect the energy now, how do you store it? How long can you store it? And kind of what does that all, you know, how does, how does that all play for usability of it once you capture the energy? So it definitely makes sense. So, well, as we start to wrap towards the end of the, or towards the end of the podcast, I always have two questions that I ask. So we'll jump to those now. So the first question I'll ask is along your journey, what was the worst business decision you ever made and what did you learn from it? Really good question. Um, yeah, worst, worst business decisions uh, that I've made were definitely on the sales side. Um, and those, those came in. Um, I think, I think one of my worst business decisions are um, people that I, thought and, and, you know, entrusted to do um, a sales 
job for us. And and um, some of these guys, you know, solar's are a very competitive market. And I think a lot of solar, you know, CEOs can relate to this about the competitive nature of solar and, and wanting to attract the best talent. And, uh, you know, it got to the point where some of these, um, some of these positions are, are pretty competitive and, and offering a, a, an upfront bonus to salesmen um, before they complete a job. And um, I think that's probably one of my biggest mistakes. I would, I would definitely encourage um, companies to avoid that, even in competitive markets, um, to avoid offering, you know, upfront bonuses, mm. um, you know, before they actually complete work. Hmm. Yeah, that's, that's probably my biggest mistake. No, and I sure. think that that's certainly one that's easy to make, but one to learn from in the sense that, you know, it's always hard when you're trying to offer incentive programs and try and get people to work harder and, and be more efficient and everything else. You know, you're always trying to figure out how to optimize that and how to make it better. And sometimes you don't necessarily always see the negative repercussions or the ways that the system will be game, so to speak, or other ways that you'll have to adjust it. So it's one that's a lesson that, you know, if you're wanting to incentivize people, sometimes you just have to learn the hard lessons or the ways that things that don't work in order to get that better, better system. One of the guests we even had on the podcast, I think he was uh, talking about how he was now in the um, kind of the printing business, you know, making signs and banners, and then they kind of became full service. But he talked about how it really took him, he went in thinking he was going to be able to just make these great incentive programs and they'd all work and it changed the industry. And it took him about 20 years to figure out how all the, or how he was, what the best incentive programs were and how that would work. And it was because it was continually iterating, figuring out what did work, what didn't work, what were the mistakes he made. So I think it's definitely one to learn from. So now as we jump to the second question, which is if you're talking to somebody that's just getting into a startup or a small business, what'd be the one piece of advice you'd give them? Um, realize, um, your strengths and weaknesses, um, and then definitely understand that the people around you really do have superhuman abilities compared to what you may have. And so, um, you need, you need other people. You need to identify where people are strong. Um, and so that, so you can synergize and, and make something bigger than, than what you are on your own together that's that's a real thing um you you can't do it all alone so you have you need to find the right people um to help um help create something amazing and it's it's so fun being able to to have an idea and and you know say say a company name that you, that you you've thought about and then to actually have people talk about that thing that you created up in your head as as an actual entity as a, and almost as an actual person, it's amazing. That's an incredible feeling. So, no, and I like and I like the kind of finding the right and identifying the right team members, the right people on the team, and everything else. In the sense that you know, one of the things that you always, especially if you're to a lot of times talk with venture capitalists or even angel investors, they're going to say one of the things that they're always looking for and they're investing in is the team, right? The team that you build it around, the people that you have around you, the people that are part of it. Because a lot of times when it's a startup or small business, you don't know if it's going to be successful. You don't know if you're going to make it. And a lot of times the difference between success and failure isn't necessarily the product or the, you know, the business plan, but it's the people you have or that's involved with the business. So I like that as a, as a point of advice. Yeah, there's, there's, a, I, yeah, I could, we could do a whole other podcast on just, just advice and, you know, the, the wisdom of, um, of Royce and, you know, all the things that he's mentioned about, you know, sharpening your saw, take, taking the time to actually mm. find better ways to do things. Um, 
you know, ma make it, making sure that you treat your customers amazingly so that they, they can refer you and, and the amount of business that that brings by just treating customers, you know, incredibly so that they, they, they can refer people to you. And what that can do for a business is incredible. So, um, yeah, it's, um, yeah, really good tips there for sure. Yeah. So, so now as we start to wrap up and just as a reminder for people, um, if we do have the bonus question where we turn the tables a bit and I, I talk a little bit about intellectual property and patents and trademarks and whatnot. So that is coming up. So if you want to stay tuned and hear a little bit more about intellectual property, definitely stay tuned to the end of the episode. But otherwise, for as we wrap up, if people are wanting to use your services, they're wanting to get into solar, they're wanting to get into renewable energy, they want to be a customer, they want to be a client, they want to be a wholesaler, they want to be your uh, investor, they want to be an employee, they want to be your next best friend, any or all of the above, what's the best way to connect up with you and reach out and find out more? Yeah, so um, I, I'm really willing to help on any level, um, even if somebody is starting up a business, I'm actually uh, willing to get back and help people um, in, in, in lots of different ways. So yeah, feel free to contact me. Um, my business number is, uh, 801-980-0700. And then uh, I'll even give you out my cell number, uh, just cause it's the, the Miller IP law group. It's, uh, 801-860-3120. It's my personal cell. You're welcome to call. All right. Well, I definitely encourage people to reach out if you're looking, if you're in the market for solar or you're looking in the market to learn more, or you just want to be having your next best friend, any of the, all of the above, reach out to Brian and uh, find out more. Well, thank you again for Brian for coming on. It's been a pleasure. And for all of you listeners, one, if you have your own journey to tell, feel free to reach out to us by going to inventiveguest.com and apply to be on the podcast and tell your journey. Um, also, if you're a listener, make sure to one, click subscribe on your podcast listeners to get notifications as all our awesome episodes come out. And two, leave us a review so new people can find out about the awesome podcast. Last but not least, if you ever need helps with your patents or trademarks, feel free to reach out to us at Miller IP Law by just going to strategymeeting.com and grabbing some time to chat. Well, as we wrap now, as we've wrapped up and we jump over to the bonus question, it's always as fun. It's a little bit turning the table. So I get it throughout the normal podcast, get asked the questions, get a follow up and dive in a bit on your journey. And so I've flipped the tables a bit with uh, now you get asked, what is your uh, what is your number one intellectual property or property law question that I can answer for you? So yeah, you, you mentioned, uh, you know, what's up and coming in the future. And I talked a little bit about batteries. The other thing that's, uh, that's going to be uh, a really big game changer, which uh, kind of relates to the, the patent, uh, you know, side of things is, uh, is the solar, the solar shingle side of things. Uh, solar mm -hmm. shingles are definitely up and coming um, thing. Um, I think, I think a lot of people um, and companies right now that are doing them, um, aren't necessarily doing them in the optimum way. Mm. So I think that's, um, there's a lot of room for improvement there. Um, and that's going to be an interesting field that I'm definitely interested to look for um, partnerships and mm. uh, people that are interested to, uh, to making an incredible solar shingle product. Um, that's, that's where I'm at. Um, and I I'm definitely want to be surrounded by those people that have that goal in mind um, to produce the best solar shingles and we've definitely got some incredible ways to to make that happen so mm. so now yeah. what is it now maybe i missed it so what's the question in there what can i or what can we discuss on intellectual property as related to the kind of the the solar power solar shingles and everything else 
Yeah, so, so the question is uh, more along the lines of, uh, you know, when we go through uh, a patent um, and, and we get that patent, um, what, what do I need as far as like a war chest to protect that patent? Um, do I need a war chest? Um, how, is it, how easy is it for someone to go around that patent, for example, um, hmm. if we do get one? Um, I, I'm definitely interested to hear your thoughts on that front. Yeah, so there's a couple questions in here, and definitely, you know, within the confines, I'll just give you some uh, general advice, and every it's always specific to each business. But you know, on a war chest, when you look at patents, first of all, I'd back it up just a little bit, in the sense that it depends on what you're going to do with the patent. In the sense that everybody, you know, you say, okay, I've got an invention, I've got a great idea, I got to run out and get a patent on it. Is kind of the the knee jerk a lot of people have on it without really thinking about what you're going to do with the patent. So there's a few different uses of a patent, and then we'll dive into a little bit of your question. So one can be you just want to box everybody out of the market. You want to have exclusivity on what you're manufacturing, what you produce, what you've invented for the period of 20 years of the patent. You want to be able to box everybody out, and you know that's where if you were an Apple or a Samsung or anybody who created something new and great and you just want to be able to come or have that exclusivity. That's one way. Another way is to say, okay, we're also, we want to go in here and we want to make ourselves a, a better target for acquisition or for merger or for something of that nature, where somebody's going to come buy your business or invest in it. Then you're going to look and say, well, what we're really doing is capturing some of the assets. A lot of what you do when you invent something is once you invented it, you can, you know, it's, it's simple to people after the fact, you know, it's always easier to figure out, oh yeah, that makes sense how they did it once it's been done as opposed to the R&D and the time and effort to actually figure it out. And so, you know, one of the ways you capture a lot of that time, money, sweat and blood, sweat and tears that goes into in or creating something is by a patent. So then you have an asset. Hey, we own something. We can show that we actually captured that value. And then somebody comes in that they want to invest. You actually have assets they can invest in. So that's kind of another thing that you're looking at is, is a purpose to one, stop others from doing it? Is it two more to make yourselves a more desirable investment or otherwise have assets? Or three, is it more of, hey, we want to really set ourselves up so that we can license it. So as other people's doing it, we don't want to stop them from doing it. We just simply want to get our income or money is attributed to us for the um, for all of the time that we put into it in, in de development. So kind of with those, when you ask about a war chest, that you know, kind of flavors a bit of your strategy in the sense of, hey, if I want to go out and I want to have dominancy, I just want to have exclusivity and otherwise stop people. If you want to go head to head, it can be difficult. If you're a small business, a small startup, and you're going against a Tesla, which, you know, has a, the roof solar cells or other ones, then it can be difficult because they can, even if you're in the right, they can spend you under the table. They can outspend you and they can drive your business to where you, you're not going to make it through the legal process. So the better question, or when you're looking at patents, a lot of times there's a few strategies if that's what you want to do one is every competitor every big company has a competitor apple has samsung you know coca-cola has pepsi nike has adidas you know you can go through and almost inevitably unless you're a pure monopoly every company has a competitor and so you can a lot of times if you have a patent you're saying we don't have the war chest you can go to that you know that competitor of the person that's not or infringing your patent and say we got this valuable patent you know we've got this intellectual property portfolio your competitor is infringing on it we don't have the ability to go enforce it but it has a lot of value why didn't you either acquire from us license it or otherwise 
guys take over and enforce it. And then you'll let the competitor do the work for you. Another way you can do it if you're looking at war chests, you're saying we don't have a war chest, is you can say, hey, we today we don't have the money to go enforce it, but we're still doing well. We've still got a good business. We're growing in market share. We're making a profit. We're going to save up until we do have a war chest, and then we're going to go and enforce it against them when we have the ability to go do that. And so when you're looking at enforcement, you're going to be anywhere from on a patent infringement case um, six lows or middle six figures. So half a million up to a million or 2 million in order to really get through it. And so you have to, when you're going down that road, you have to really just consider whether or not it's worthwhile to go off or after someone or whether or not, you know, it makes sense. Or if you navigate it a different way, the other question you kind of had was on, you know, how broad it is navigating around it, designing around it, you know, is there really a breadth? Can you really get enough value in it to capture that? And, that one is a difficult one. So give you a couple examples. If you wanted to, if you came to me and said, I want to get a patent on a golf club, you better have a really good in innovation for golf clubs because one of the most crowded areas in all of intellectual property is golf clubs. The reason being is you got a whole bunch of rich doctors and rich or attorneys and, and other people that go play golf and they all have their idea of how they want to, First of all, they want to go tell their friends that they have a patent on a, on a golf club and they want to go and impress it and they all have a bit of expendable income. And so they all try and go file a patent on it, of which it makes for an incredibly crowded field, which means you have to get a very narrow patent if you can even get one such that it re or greatly reduces the value. Sometimes you can still get a very valuable patent, but it can be very narrow. On the other hand, if it's a more open field, meaning that there's a lot of innovation being done, a lot of different things, and you can find capture those nuggets that really give you the value that can be the difference between, you know, 10x efficiency, or it makes it more cost effective, or it makes it, it cuts the time in half to do installation. If you can find some of those nuggets that Yes, other people could do it other ways. They could design around it, but it's going to be so cost prohibitive. It's going to be so inefficient or otherwise that they'd rather either not do it or come and get a license through you. That's what you're trying to look at. So it kind of depends on how crowded the field is and how innovative the work you're doing is, as to whether or not you can get a good, a broader patent that can give you a lot of room to box other people out. So with that, there's that is a great conversation of which I could dive into and, and talk on for a much longer period of time. And then everybody would start falling asleep and they would they would tune out of the podcast. But there's a, a couple answers, at least to start to touch on your top intellectual property question. Now, with that, we'll wrap up with the podcast again. Brian, appreciate you coming on the podcast. It's been fun. It's been a pleasure. Uh, appreciate you doing it and uh, wish the next leg of your journey even better than the last. Thank you so much. Pleasure having, having me on. Thank you.